it's Sean. And it's Bree. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12. What, what? Yeah, we made it through another year of Paranormal Files Canada. Yeah, so a very exciting episode because we kind of have... Something special. Yeah, something special. Um, And we're actually together. Yes, right. (laughs) Yay! It's been a long time. It has been a long time. So it's good to have you back, and um, I hope we can continue doing this mm-hmm. together rather than apart. Yes. 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 And season three is just around the corner. It right? sure is. And we've got some exciting stuff happening in person. Yeah, we got some stuff happening. Season three, episode one is going to be really exciting. Um, you know, keep an eye on our Facebook. We're going to be posting some kind of little hints and secrets there and Mm kind of give you ideas of what we're going to be doing, uh, in season three, um, and going forward. So let's finish off season two. With a bang. With a bang. (laughs) Um, we also have a, a actual, um, surprise for you this episode as well. Uh, so we're going to have an exclusive interview with author of House of Darkness, House of Light, Andrea Perum. Uh, the book is a part of a three-part series. Our interview with Andrea is about the teeny's new two-part documentary series called Bathsheba, which will air Monday, October the 11th at 9pm Eastern Pacific Time. The series will air as part of TNE's annual Creep Week event. I'm excited. Me too. Always excited for the Creep Week <laughs> event. Uh, yeah. That means, the well, actually, that means for us a new season. That's true. It yes. does. So. So also, um, just to add the rest of the little bit of information. Yes. Um, Andrea will also be sharing with us information about the show Bathsheba that's on Teeny. And um, she's also shared with us some untold stories. So, yeah, definitely wait till the end of the episode. That's right. And also, uh, just to kind of further that, um, Bathsheba is featured in the movie The Conjuring, mm-hmm. as well as Andrea Perone is a uh, character as one of the kids uh, in that movie as well. So it's definitely loosely based on her experiences, you know, with Hollywood, there's always some, you know, embellishment for, you know, monetary purposes and what have you. Entertainment. Yeah, entertainment purposes as well. So not saying anything about that. But I do love The Conjuring. Me too. I was scared watching that. Yeah, it was, (laughs) it's it's full of uh, jump scares and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So if you like that kind of thing, then definitely those movies are for you. But we have the true story. And just to have somebody that's, you know, lived in that house and, and, and lived and breathed, you know, that the house and the experiences yeah. in that house um, are just, I, I'm trying to think of a word to explain it. And mm-hmm. I really can't. Like, <laughs> they're, they're, they're exceptional, but I don't even think that captures it. So... We'll leave it up to your decision on what you think. So we will definitely be playing that uh, interview for you, like we said at the end of the episode. Stay tuned. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. Mm -hmm. We are going to be talking about the Algonquin in St. Andrew, New Brunswick. And lastly, St. Andrew's on the Red in Manitoba. So, we have a good show lined up. hmm Very interesting information. <laughs> yes. So, we're going to get right into it as usual. We are going to talk about the Regent Theatre in Oshawa and Brie. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Changing it up on you. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping it fresh. Yeah. So, the construction began in March of 1919 by Norman Claude Limited. Uh, costing them $100,000 to build the house. Now, it was said that it opened October of the same year, but there was disputes going on about whether or not that was the actual date that it opened up. Um, the mayor at the time was present, and he opened the um, theater. His name is John Stacy. The opening show was called The Prince Chap. It was a comedy entitled You Wouldn't Believe It. 
The building was designed by J. McNee Jeffrey, a famous theater designer of the times. It said that he the theater reached max capacity on opening night and they had to turn hundreds of people away. That would have been exciting to go there so. at that time. Yeah. I think to experience anything like that because it is um, uh, such a well-known mm-hmm. place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I always say I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> In 1927, they reported that half a million people had attended the theater in that fiscal year. Uh, The Regent was a unique design, and people from all over wanted to attend and see the luxury of the theater. It was known as one of the finest moving picture theaters in Canada. It was pretty evident that a lot of consideration went into the design of this theater, from its incredible acoustical properties to the original air conditioning system. So what they did was they set up fans and blocks of ice on trays to blow cool air into the theater during summer months. And then in the later in the twenties, it was replaced by a system that pumped cold water through the system to give it a cooler atmosphere. The interior was also cleverly done. Back then, the owners weren't sure of how the movies would turn out. Uh, They thought maybe it was just a fad. So they had the theater set up so that the screen would move back and that it would be a stage. And then they could have live performances on there. There was even a fly tower built into the building and it was able to sustain the props and whatever they needed to use for the plays. There was an orchestra section there as well for um, entertainment, uh, which was also part of a backup plan in case the movie theater didn't work out. The basement was set up for dressing rooms, and uh, it was the prop storage area. It was also said that it was a classy place for Oshawa. (laughs) In the 1950s, the original canopy and sign was replaced by the famous player's movie theater marquee. The chandeliers were also replaced in the 50s. The originals were made of a frosted plate glass. During the 70s and 80s, Cineplex came out and made them struggle for a little while. And then in 1989, sadly, the theater stopped playing movies. Hmm. In 1997, four businessmen purchased the Regent Theater from Famous Famous Players Cinema Corporation, and they turned it into a nightclub called Adrenaline Rush. Unfortunately, it didn't go so well, and in 99, the owners closed the club, and they applied for a permit to demolish the building. But Heritage Oshawa got involved and deemed it a historical building. I remember going there when it was a club back in the day. I was there at least once. Uh, A woman named Louise Parks, who was known in the community, wanted to save um, the region and turn, turn it into a performing arts center. But was declined, and the theater was sold to Mike Burley, who was a 20-year-old man at the time, and it was, I guess, a five-year contract. He called it the Hourglass Theater production and used the space to host his groups. However, Mike failed to keep up with the theater and uh, due to the cost of running it. Mm. Uh, so the city bought it back in 2001, and it remained closed for uh, much-needed renovations. So, with a combined effort of Louise Parks, and I believe her name was Kate Clark, and Lynn Laverick, a theater designer, they reconstructed the building and opened it in 2008, October-ish, before it was actually officially ready to be opened. Apparently, there were still things that needed to be done, um, and things didn't go to plan, and unfortunately, it was forced to close again in 2009. Wow. Mm -hmm. Not much luck. No. And then the city sold it to uh, UOIT. And the remaining construction that was left over was completed by 2010. Uh, By 2013, UOIT commissioned a complete replacement of the ceiling structure and recreation of the original historical plaster and crown molding, which are now apparently painted blue and gold. Wow. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It was used for lectures, educational studies for the students. In 2014, it became a performing arts center. Good. Um, I was on the website recently, and there are a lot of live performances scheduled for 2021. Coming in September, there is the Philharmonics. A renowned nice. pianist with uh, will be there, and apparently he's guaranteed to amaze you. In October, there is a band uh, doing a Rolling Stones experience. They are called Blushing Brides, which is funny since uh, Gen Extra just did episode four on the Rolling Stones. <laughs> wow, look at that. That kind of tied in really right? good. <laughs> Um, well, that's it. That's all I have for the history of the Region Theatre in Oshawa, Ontario. And Sean's going to take it over and talk about the ghosts of the Region Theatre. Yes, I sure am. I mean, the ghost is not as extensive as Bree's stuff, but <laughs> equally entertaining. <laughs> okay, so Region Theatre, there have been reports of a shadow man 
along with cooler temperatures. Like, um, there's, as usual, and we see this a lot, or we talk about this a lot, about cold spots and what Mm -hmm. have you. So that's fairly common for those kind of things because, you know, manifestations and what have you usually start as some sort of action, whether Mm -hmm. it be mist or cool spots or hot spots or what have you or moving light or moving light yeah orbs what have you but those usually come out with the photography Mm. but there is murray who is either an old manager or an owner who had committed suicide and he was definitely a negative energy in the regent theater um, but he continues to tell people, this is my place, get out. <laughs> Imagine, I'd be like, okay, bye. <laughs> See ya, Murray. Yeah. <laughs> when I went there, I, I remember them saying it was haunted. So I was like, obviously hoping something would happen. Because of course it was back then too, right? right? Yeah. But, Okay. Well, at least you were open to the idea. <laughs> and who knew that you're going to be talking about it I know, 10 now. years later, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's also been spirits of a young dancer from the 1920s mm. who continuously dances for her boyfriend who sits in the third row. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I thought that was kind of like sweet in yeah. a sense because, you know, he's there to support her and even in death, mm-hmm. you know. It's those things that kind of like touch the heartstrings for me. Oh, love. Love is so amazing. As we're going to hear later. There's also reports of a spirit of a woman who has been raped and she felt that she needed to be punished because she knows that her family would have been ashamed uh, of her because of what had happened to her. Mm -hmm. Um so there's definitely reports of that as well. And I think you even said that you had heard something about that uh, before. Yeah. I think yeah. that was the one uh, spirit that I had heard about. Yeah. So I know light and breezy, but that's pretty much it for the region theater. And, and... Actually, I have a fun fact, which I oh, totally cool. forgot. Well, maybe not a fun fact. An interesting a fact. A fact. <laughs> Um, from the 1920s to the 1940s, Leon Ozier was the GM of the theater, and there was a projectionist, a projectionist that worked there as well. His name was Frederick Kinton. He actually went to World War One and ended up sustaining uh, injuries and later died from them. But after that, when World War Two came around, Leon began playing clips about World War Two on the screen for people to come and watch and see what was going on in the world. Okay. And it was also said that he later helped with war efforts, too, by collecting metal and, and tin and stuff like that and sh- getting it shipped overseas to help them while they were at war. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I learned that about uh, one of the general managers. Cool. This is interesting. That is interesting. Wow. Kind of cool to finish it off with something like that. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move into the Algonquin, which is in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. Bree? All right. So the original Algonquin Hotel was a wooden shingled style building constructed in 1889 by St. Andrew's Land Company. A Boston architecture firm designed it. It had 80 rooms and opened June the same year. In the late 19th century, the surrounding community grew and developed a popular summer tourism for the hotel. In 1912, it succumbed to a fire and everything burned down except for the two wings that were later built in 1908 and 1912, prior to the fire. Okay. The building was replaced by the present four-story Tudor Revival concrete structure. And then in 1990s, an additional wing was built. And then again in 2010, another wing was added. It's uh, also known for its saltwater baths. It was their best and main feature. They also offered um, by the Bay of Fundy treatments that were believed to have healing properties. Wow. It really attracted the uh, wealthy guests who later bought land and cottages in the surrounding countryside. Wow. In 1903, the Canadian Pacific Railway uh, bought the Algonquin and added a nine-hole golf course. Uh, The majority of the guests arrived by passenger trains, and some known guests who stayed there were Theodore Roosevelt and Franklin D. Roosevelt. Prince Charles and Diana, Princess of Wales. Cool. She's my favorite. (laughs) I love her. 
It was uh, sold again to Newcastle Resorts and Southwest Property, and it went, underwent renovations and reopened again in 2013 by Marriott Autograph Collections, making it the first Canadian autograph collection hotel in its Marriott chain. Ah, okay. Cool. Uh, landmark for tourism travel in New Brunswick. It certainly had my interest peak for sure. Just looking at the pictures of the place, I want to go there. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. it's so nice. Wow. Um, it was like totally the talk of the town too. Uh, its defining characteristics is its Tudor revival style and large tripart windows, octagonal roofs on the asymmetric towers. Okay. Definitely appealing to its charming place. The people fell in love with it. I read a quote on there where people, one man said that people ask where I live and I tell them I live in St. Andrews by the gates of heaven. I'd like to live there too. <laughs> <laughs> Me as well. <laughs> Apparently the cost of the rooms ranged from 3 to $5 per day back then. Wow. Um, during World War II, the resort closed down for two years. And then in 1958, the last passenger train carrying guests dropped its last load at the hotel. Correct. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, apparently in 2021, Golf Digest Editor's Choice Award was given. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. That's all I have for the history of St. Andrews in New Brunswick. So awesome. Sean's going to tell you about the ghost. Why, yes I am, Bree. <laughs> Let's get into the <laughs> the ghosts of the Algonquin in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. So this actually has quite the lengthy kind of ghosty background. Mm, so can't wait to hear. So the Algonquin Resort is a true haunted house. Many reports of paranormal activities and ghost stories have obviously been reported. Wow. Yeah. According to a worker, all of their ghosts are friendly ghosts. <laughs> That's which good. is good. Yeah. Many different ghosts are said to haunt the Algonquin. Hmm. One ghost is known as the night watchman, whose footsteps and jangling keys have been heard down the service tunnels. <laughs> which we've thought quite a few times, mm-hmm. you know. There was one I think it was a hospital or something where we kind of heard the oh, same the thing. Ta- it was the lighthouse, the night watchman. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. You have a good memory. Sometimes. I don't. <laughs> Clearly. Every time I'm like, ah, what episode was that from? I never remember. And I have all this stuff written down. I guess if you, if you have it written down, you don't need to remember it. True. Right? <laughs> so there was also a bellman that was at the front desk chatting with a couple as they checked in late one night. There was actually no Bellman scheduled at that time. And when the description was given, it matched the image of a retired Bellman that recently passed away. Wow. God, I, I want to have that experience where it looks like the real. You know what I, I mean? Know. I really do. But I, I, I kind of do, but then I kind of don't. Because, like, I mean... I <laughs> My luck, it'll probably be something that wants to, like, murder me. It <laughs> wants to eat your eyeballs or something. <laughs> oh, God. It'd be a nightmare instead of a good experience. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so, before the, the original structure of the Algonquin burned down, as Bree was saying, there was a little boy who was killed when he was chasing his red ball and went out into... Uh, he actually went out of a third-story window. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, the most popular story is in the bridal suite, room 473. Mm. The bride was to be married the following day to a merchant sailor. Unfortunately, while he was out at sea... He got caught in a storm and could not make it back in time. He was never able to tell her what happened. So the bride went back to her room very upset as, yeah, like as I think anybody would be in that situation. And it was said that she was found dead in her room the next day. Some say she died of a broken heart. Others say that it was suicide. I really don't think anything's been substantiated with, with that. So that's kind of the theory that goes around with that. So powerful love. Yeah. And since that time, many happenings have been said to be in that room. So there's lots of activity there. Hmm. Lots of people have had experiences there. 
There have been reports of crying, screaming, even when the room is not rented. The bride's silhouette has been seen from the hotel's highest tower. The key to this tower has been long lost as well. Oh, wow. (laughs) Guests have also complained about a puddle of water that was found in room 473. Whenever a maintenance person checks on it, it... It's never a leaky pipe, nor the roof, but it's said to be the bride's tears staining the floor of the room. Andrew was another bellman that was there. He got a call at the bell stand, and it was a deadline, which happens. Then about 15 minutes later, he got a call from the same room, and the same thing. A deadline. He hung up the phone. And to see who it was in that room and saw that it was unoccupied. He connected it with room 473 and thought somebody was playing a joke. (laughs) He went back down and exactly 15 minutes later it happened again. So he went up, unplugged the phone in the room. I think he had enough. (laughs) I think so. Yes. He then went back downstairs another 15 minutes and another dead call came from the room across (laughs) the hall that was unrented as well. That's when I would be like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Peace out. The ghosts of the Algonquin are known to play many pranks on the staff. Switching up silverware, hiding laundry hampers, <laughs> even changing hotel data logs. Oh, wow. They typically shy away from interacting with the guests. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But that is the ghost. Of the Algonquin. Yes. <laughs> Interesting, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of information. Definitely, definitely. And it, it really cool how it kind of all ties together. So now we're going to move on to St. Andrew on the Red in Manitoba. Bree? All right. So St. Andrew's on the Red was built between 1845 and 1849. Building designed by Arch- Archdeacon William Cochran. Cochran was instrumental in the establishment of the Anglican Church in Manitoba. Much of the stonework was done by Duncan Ray, who was responsible for many of the best stone buildings of that time. Its Gothic Revival style was popular in England 18th century. The windows are what make it evident to the Goth style. Its unique design and inverted York boat-shaped ceiling made it very strong and durable for its time. The wood from the Far Pines, which are apparently now called Bird's Hill, Mm-hmm. was used in the structure as well. The stone came from the banks of the Red River. Most of the interior remained unchanged since 1849, except for the carpeting. Wow. Um, the beautifully stained glass windows above the altar was the main focal point as you entered. The pews are not the original ones. The current ones were st- uh, installed in 1885. But there is one original pew that remains in the tower entrance. Wow. The cemetery that surrounds the church keeps the graves of the people who had succumbed to the plague, such as influenza, diphtheria, typhoid, and tuberculosis. Yeah. The founder is buried there, Archdeacon William Cochran. Uh, there was a rectory that was used regularly by the ministers of St. Andrews in, uh, in 1854. In 1970, the Historic Sites and Monuments Board of Canada concluded that St. Andrews Church is of national architectural and historical importance Mm -hmm. and a plaque was unveiled at a special service in 1974. Cool. Uh, There are also many World War One and World War Two war veterans buried there. Um, And that's all I have for the history of St. Andrews on the Red in Manitoba. Awesome. Well, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Sean's going to tell us about the ghosts. That's right. So now I'm going to move into talking about the ghost in St. Andrews on the Red in Division Number 13 in Manitoba. Night visitors have said that they see a set of disembodied red eyes that float through the cemetery. Hmm. And other there's other accounts that say a phantom car with red eyes or headlights, hmm. I guess, okay. uh, come out of nowhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. The people. Could be the taillights. It could be the taillights, yeah. yeah. Very well could be. Organs will begin to play spontaneously. Two apparitions have been seen floating through the cemetery at night a man in black and a woman in white. Hmm. So that makes me think of like a marriage, like, oh, you know, like a yeah. black tux and a white, 
you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was really nothing more about that to, like, confirm what I was thinking. Right, yeah. um, so that's really all that I found on that. Um, but most people have had an experience and claim that they have a lingering effects of the cemetery following their experience. Some some have reported having terrifying dreams. Oh, wow. So it's definitely something that has stuck with them yeah. in one way or another to to create those, you know, memories feelings, and, yeah. and, and feelings. There was, um, I, I was reading an eyewitness account that said they were in the cemetery and those red eyes actually followed them around Ooh. as they were walking around the cemetery and then there was also another report of people going to the cemetery and their phones stopped working like nothing would work like electronics wise those people that were in the cemetery left and then like five ten minutes later their phones start working again so it's like i more so think that maybe you know, the, the spirit was intervening mm. in some way or another. Um, I don't know why, but... Well, they like electronics in. and yeah. energy, so... And it's a way for them to communicate mm-hmm. most of the time, so... That's true. Yeah. That's why they, they tend to flicker lights and, you know... Yeah, because they're mostly energy. made up of energy. Yeah. yeah. So... But that's all I have for um, St. Andrews on the Red... Um, in division number 13 in Manitoba. Cool. Yeah. So now we're going to move into the part of the show that we talked about earlier. And that is our interview with Andrea Perron, who is a world renowned author and whose story is going to be featured in the two part docuseries on TNE called Bathsheba, which will be airing. October the 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Pacific Time. The series will air as part of TNE's annual Creep Week event. So definitely, definitely tune in mm-hmm. to get the full story. Yes. But let's take a listen to our interview with Andrea. With Andrea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first question for you, Andrea, is when you guys moved into that house, was it active from the moment, the first night that you were there? Yes, but it wasn't active any of the times that we visited the house prior to owning it. It's almost as though they were waiting in the wings, waiting for us to, for my parents to have signed on the dotted line. You know, that's it. Here it is. You're here now. And now we can show ourselves because there's no chance of scaring you away because you just bought the farm, you know? So, yeah. With those experiences that you were having in the first night, did you even attribute it to entities or did you just think my mind is playing a trick on me? Uh, We didn't know what to think. We were just little kids. And on the first day that we moved in, four of the seven members of my family saw an entity more than once. Um, A man who appeared to be middle-aged, but rather haggard and um, like as though he had just spent too many hours farming, too many hours in the sun. You know, he had a lot of wrinkles on his face, but he appeared to be a young man. Um, And... He was dressed in what was obviously homemade clothing. And when I saw him and I was the first one to see a figure in the house and I did not tell anyone because quite frankly, he appeared as flesh and blood to me um, to the extent that I said, good morning, sir, uh, when I passed by him and he did not respond to me. And I'm sure I just presumed it was because I was a kid and, you know, adults don't, you know, kids are supposed to be seen and not heard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah and uh, so he did not respond to me but um, then my sister Christine came in with a box from the moving van and she saw him and walked in the kitchen as I was walking out the kitchen door and asked my mother the same question that I had asked her who's that man with Mr. Kenyon Mr. Kenyon is the one that sold us the farm and he was moving out the day we were moving in 
Um, oh. And my mom said, there's nobody with Mr. Kenyon. His son's on the way. He's not here yet. So I am sure that all of us probably thought at first it was just maybe a neighbor that had stopped by. And my mom just didn't know because she was with my baby sister, April, in the kitchen. Yeah. And this was happening in the dining room, which was, you know, quite a distance away. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then Cindy walked in to the kitchen, put her box down and said, mom, who's that man with Mr. Kenyon? He's dressed funny. And my mom's <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't have time to go look. And, you know, I'm busy here and yeah, I'm sure, yeah. it's, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> and it was, you know, moving day is always mayhem and Bethlehem oh, yeah. and chaos, you know. And yeah. <laughs> there were, you know, there are like an army of people bringing things into the house. But we, the children, were the only ones that seemed to notice this apparition. And I thought he was a real man, like, a, you know, fully alive. Um, <clears throat> Christine said that she could see through him a little bit. And then Nancy came in after Cindy and leaned over to Cindy and said, did you see that man with Mr. Kenyon? I did, but he just disappeared. And that all happened within the first 10 minutes that we moved as we were moving into the house. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Within the first couple of nights, my baby sister, well, April was the baby. Cindy was the next to the youngest. And she came crawling into bed with me and said she heard loud voices in her room. And she was sharing a room with Christine. And I thought that maybe Chris was talking in her sleep at first because she does that sometimes. And uh, she said, no, it's not Christine. She said, it's a whole bunch of voices. They're all standing around the bed. They're all talking to me and, and they're getting louder and louder and they're all talking together at once. And so the next logical question, of course, was, well, what are they saying? Yeah. And she said to me with tears in her eyes, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall over and over and over again. And when I was writing my books, the trilogy House of Darkness, House of Light, which chronicles and records and completely details the 10 years that we lived at that farm and the final um, in the final book in volume three, I have a chapter called um, Collective Memoirs. And Cindy thought it would be best instead of her writing an essay, if I just um, did an interview with her as a series of questions. And while I was doing that, um, because she has trouble writing, she had had a head injury and it, it, it troubles her. And so she thought I'll, she'll just answer my questions and I can type the answers right into the text. And at one point I said, Cindy, how many times did you hear those voices saying there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall and her eyes just filled with tears. And she said thousands. Wow. And I tried to convey that in the books. You know, I mean, I put my whole heart and soul and my whole family's reputation on the line by writing House of Darkness, House of Light, and by putting that trilogy of books out into the world. We took a tremendous risk because of the um, scrutiny and the castigation that would certainly come from it. Um, And yet... um, it has been so warmly and lovingly received uh, because people sense the authenticity of it. They know that we didn't just make up this big, huge, elaborate lie (laughs) and then swear each other to it. You know, it took me seven (laughs) years to write those three books. And the third book I think is the most profound because it, um, it was difficult to leave the farm. You know, a lot of people, a lot of interviewers say to me, you know, why the hell did your family stay there? You know, I mean, and there were a lot of reasons for it. You know, there were many reasons. My father, you know, once my mother started divulging to him that things were happening in the house, he didn't believe it. Um, We weren't telling my mother what was happening to us because she seemed troubled. So the, the girls would tell me instead. And I'm the one that went to my mom and told her about six months after we moved in, 
all the things that had happened to us. Wow. And, and meanwhile, she had gone through a series of events herself yes. that were very disturbing. Yes. Yes, and she didn't right. tell us because she didn't want to scare her children. Right. And my father was too busy being king of denial to talk to <laughs> yes. him about it at all. Yes. Um, and so um, it was a very, it was a difficult time. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, volume three, um, I thought it would be the easiest of the three books to write. And it was the most difficult because it deals with our extrication from the farm and how painful that was and how it fractured our family. And we never lived together under the same roof again. Oh, wow. um, it was, uh, it cost my parents their marriage. I mean, it was, you know, it was darkness and light. It was yeah. both. Wow. It was everything. It was fear and dread and it was joy and, and blissful times spent in the woods and fishing and swimming. <laughs> and it was a gorgeous piece of property in an original colonial home. And my parents bought that house because it was an original colonial home. Ghosts were not on the radar. It wasn't a yeah. consideration. No. Yeah. No, no, they were looking at, you know, they were thinking about their family and, yeah. and what a yeah. good life they would have. And yeah. even in the even in the documentary, it really um, went over and above to state how much you guys really loved living there and how much the land brought you guys so much joy. I think the documentary is brilliant. Yes. I think it's the best. I have done so many different interviews and docs and you know special shows for all the different you know travel networks uh, and you know the paranormal networks down here yes, yes. um and um nothing holds a candle to bathsheba nothing mm -hmm. does and i'll tell you why not only is bathsheba authentic and sincere in intention um that it's extremely well researched that they took to heart everything that my family shared with them. I worked for months with the producers nice. on this because yeah. I wanted this to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. That is all that I care about is that the message is pure and true because the conjuring left people with a lot of impressions that were not accurate about That's the right. portrayal That's right. of our family and yeah. about, you know, how we were, um, yeah. you know, the vilification of Bathsheba. Bathsheba is not the spirit that was haunting and taunting my mother. She wasn't even born when that woman died. Oh. And, you know, we don't know for a fact because, of course, none of them ever walked up to us and said, oh, hello, my name is. Right. They're, you know, um, <laughs> nice to meet you. they didn't. That's just not how it worked. There was only one spirit in the house that had, I would think, certainly more than a dozen spirits active in the house. Um, and only one ever self-identified. And it was the little boy who was mm. my sister April's playmate. And she right. was too young to understand that she was playing with somebody dead. She just yeah. knew he was different. That's right. Um, and um, But she kept him a secret because she didn't want anybody to make him go away. Because mm -hmm. she was lonely. And all of her sisters were in school and she was not. And so he was her playmate and would, you know, come out of a little cubby hole in the wall and glance behind him like he was afraid of something. And then he would settle into her, to the little space, the chimney closet where she would play because it was really the warmest spot in the house <laughs> and um, and would marvel <clears throat> at her at her toys, because, of course, these kinds of toys didn't exist when he was alive. If he was indeed Oliver Richardson, then he was part of the original Richardson family that built that house before it became the Arnold estate through marriage. And wow. the house as it stands was completed in 1736, yeah. 40 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's right. So eight extended generations of family um, the original builders of the home and then through marriage, it became the Arnold estate in the 1800s. Right. Um, they all lived and died in that house before we ever arrived. So I can understand why we might, ha might have been perceived as the intruders. However, I also believe that there were cosmic forces at play 
that drew our yeah. family to that farm yes, and that's that we right. were supposed to live there. And that's yeah. the real answer to why the hell did you stay there for a decade? <laughs> right. Because we answer. were supposed to, Sean. We yes. were. Yeah. Yes. I totally believe And then 30 years me. later, I was supposed to tell the tale of that's darkness right. and light when the world was ready to receive it. Yes. That's right. Now, it was funny you saying that it, it seemed like you were drawn to the the house. And, and that's the impression that I got as well, because your mom called your dad and said, basically, I cleaned out the checking account. So, <laughs> oh, she didn't even call him. That was oh, well wow. before cell phones had been invented. <laughs> um, True. No, she waited till he got home and then she sprung it on him. <laughs> you know, and mom Smart had never woman. Been, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, dad was taken aback because mom had had never done anything so impetuous in her right, life. Right, wow. right. And yeah. she had to have that farm. And mm -hmm. his attitude was, how do we get the check back? You know, because she had <laughs> emptied the bank account to put earnest money down on the farm. Here's one of the fascinating things that a lot of people don't know if they haven't read the books yet. Right. That farm had just been listed the day she called on oh, it. Wow. And it was on the market. And in the listing, you know, they buy a block of listings. So for months, it was advertised in the paper every day, even though my mother had already put money down on it. And um, the uh, at the closing, she and my father uh, were informed by the realtor that they never received another call on that farm, not one. Wow. Not one. Wow. So and, it was just know, the stars aligned. Yeah. 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 There were a lot of factors at play. Everything had to fall in exactly into place the way that it did, like pieces of a cosmic puzzle yes. tumbling to earth yes. and forming the border and putting all the pieces in place precisely where they were in order for us to end up at that farm. That's right. And, you know, the more I reflect on it, you know, I mean, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. And the more I reflect on it, the more I realize that we were supposed to experience living there and having the experience that we did, that we were somehow spiritually drawn to the place. And I'll tell you one of the other factors in that, Sean, is that two years before my mother ever found that farm, my dad came home with a little puppy. Um, and she was an African Basenji and my mother swept her up in her arms and just tilted her head back to the heavens and said, this dog is a special dog. She deserves a special name. And she said, Bathsheba. Wow. None of us knew what that reference was, the biblical reference or, you know, how historic a name that was, how ancient. Um, so we abbreviated it to Sheba. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was our little dog and she got killed while she was in my care um, and um, uh, about a year and a half later she was still a puppy and she got excited and she pulled loose from me on Diamond Hill Road in Cumberland, Rhode Island and she was struck and killed oh. by a car and it happened right in front of me and I was so traumatized and it changed me Oh, it changed yeah. me. And that was when my mother decided that she was going to find a place in the country where her children could have a pet, where it was safe oh. to walk on the road, where the kids could be, instead of having to go find a park, yeah. could actually live in a park. Mm -hmm. And that's what she found. And I wow. have to believe there's some, some connection between these two things. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have a question. Hi, um, Bray. <laughs> hi. <laughs> when your sisters and you experienced it, you had see, said earlier that they looked like real to you, but your sister said he looked see-through. So yeah. do you feel that it was because maybe you had a stronger bond with the entity compared to them? And that's why you could see them as a real life person and they could see them as a spirit or see-through. Or... You know, in all the thousands of interviews I've done, I don't think that anyone has asked me that question, which really? is a very intellectually based erudite question that deserves to be answered and i'm glad i get to answer it for you yes i think that i already unknowingly had the ability 
to see into the fourth dimension. Um, and so that is why he appeared as flesh and blood to me, um, but not to anyone else. And most of the spirits that I encountered in that house where other members of my family might see a swirling ball of mist as something is trying to manifest in form and doesn't quite have enough energy yet, I could tell who it was, who it was becoming, and could communicate with a ball of mist. And I never had uh, a confrontation with any of the spirits in the house, uh, whereas that was not true for other members of my family. Mm -hmm. um, I never had, uh, I was never attacked. I was never injured. Um, I, I had fear because of what was happening to my mother and my sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt fear about what was happening in the house, but it wasn't because I ever had to have a, a close encounter of the unpleasant kind mm, with any okay. of the spirits in the house. I felt very much at home there. And I'll tell you, Brie, of all the places that I've been in my life and the places that I've lived, the farm feels like the only sense of home I have ever had. It is the only sense of permanence I have ever felt. And everything else and everywhere else feels temporary to me. Wow. wow. That's, that's hard. That's really hard. My mother said the day we moved out of the farm and I told her something that I had seen in that house of an apparition who looked just like me as an old woman, a mirror image reflection of my face that had aged. And wow. she smiled at me and I smiled back and I never told, I never told my mother what her face looked like. Everybody else in the family saw her, but she was standing sideways on the hearthstone staring at me. And when I turned my head and I looked in her face, I felt it on a visceral level. I felt it like a gut punch that I had somehow in some way been in that house before, had lived in that house before. And she was dressed in clothing from about the mid 1800s with I the leg of mutton months. sleeves, the long full dress. I didn't see any feet. I just, I, I mostly focused on her face because it shocked me. And the day we moved out, I told my mother what I saw because it reinforced at least the possibility of reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And when I told my mother that she just patted me on the hand and she said, I always knew we bought this house for you. That's amazing. Wow. I have goosebumps. Wow. I'm so proud of, of this documentary and I'll tell you why it gets to the heart of the matter. It does. Everybody yes. that worked on it was personally invested, emotionally invested in this project. And even if they came into this project, being non-believers, at least having worked on it, has opened minds and hearts to our story. That's and true. I'm so grateful for that. As you know, I'm grateful for The Conjuring for different reasons. You know, my, my books, my, our story would be languishing in obscurity had it not been for a blockbuster feature film that was <laughs> as successful as any film in the genre since yes. The Exorcist that had a 35-year start head start That's on right. it. That's right. You know, but yes. um, that I think it's because of of the children, because of the portrayal of the children and a loving family. And in, even though they took great liberties with the story and it was, of course, based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren anyway, yes. and they yes. even finagled with that. It's really a conjured up movie that cherry picks from our story and the case files. And then they created their own third film according to the method and formula that is accepted in Hollywood. That's you know, right. it's, That's it's right. what they do. It is. And and really, at the end of the day, it's about selling movie tickets. Yeah, so, like, right. I mean, they're going to embellish where they need to embellish. Yes. And, you know, for, for scare factor, factor yes. for, for, you yeah. know, fear factor, as Brie was saying. Yeah. But... 
You know, I, I think another question that I have for you would be, um, was there a length of time that any of you spent outside the home? Um, like maybe staying at somebody else's home or what have you when living there? Does, sure. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. And and was there experiences then as well, or was it just predominantly in the home? It was prompt predominantly in the home, in the barn, and on the property. Okay. Okay. Although there were other haunted houses in yes. our area. And we okay. were friends with kids that, you know, were dealing with things of their own. Um, right. And, you know, I talked to some of them as I was writing the books and, um, you know, even wrote about some of them and the experiences that they had in our house. Um, and, you know, it was it was really fascinating because some of our friends would come and they would never experience anything at all. They never saw anything, heard anything, felt anything. And then others would come and all hell would break loose. You know, so right, right. sometimes it makes you wonder, you know, is it about a, per- a certain person's energy or, mm-hmm. you know, are they just particularly active today? I mean, we don't have the yeah. answers for these questions, No, you know, but no. that doesn't mean that the events didn't occur just because right. we can't explain them That's in the right. same way that my mother in a fit of anger uh, challenged my father one day um, as he was questioning her veracity, which was a foolish thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she said, Roger, the existence of the spirits in this house is not contingent upon your belief in them. That's right. That's right. It's true. You know, and he, that shot him up. I mean, you know, he had, <laughs> For to, sure. he had to go up <laughs> and think about that, you know, bless his heart. No, the, the thing is all that matters to me, you know, I'm the messenger. Yes, I get that. Um, I was the the face that they put out for The Conjuring because so many weird things happened on the set that when it came time to promote the movies, none of the principal actors wanted to. They were virtually <laughs> reneging on their contracts. They're like, oh, yes. you know what? I think we're done with this. Um, you know, and uh, some of them did a little bit, but predominantly I was the one that went out there and spoke about the, the contrast uh, between the books and the film and... And they encouraged me to do that because they had all read the books, including James Wan. I'll tell you what James Wan's uh, words were when he closed the book on volume three. Oh, hell no. Wow. (laughs) He would not even go to Rhode Island to film. Wow. They chose an entirely different location in an entirely different part of the country and then had to crawl up on ladders into the trees <laughs> to remove the Spanish moss from the trees that were going to be within camera range because oh, no. Rhode Island doesn't have Spanish moss. That's right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, really, I, Warner Brothers felt like, you know, based on what James uh, Wan said and uh, the producers and everything, that it would be best to just, you know, kind of cherry pick, just pluck from Mm -hmm. the case files Mm -hmm. and, you know, some elements of our true story, but they're completely unrecognizable to the true story. They're just kind of folded in and melded in like, you know, making dough for bread. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were cosmic kisses in the movie that are impossible to explain. That's right. um, Including uh, a, a folk art drawing of a white cat that I have Mm. sitting three feet away from me in my, ma'am cave slash office uh, <laughs> that was given to me as a child when I had turned 13 years old and we were living at the farm and my mother's best friend gave me this picture that I felt found at a flea market and fell in love with. And it's probably paint by number because the duplicate of it was found by the set designer in the massive warehouse, um, at Warner Brothers, and it, the warehouse is so huge, it's broken up into decades. If you want something from the 1970s, you go here. And of everything she had to choose from to decorate that house, she plucked that picture, the identical wow. picture of the white cat. That's and crazy. That's freaky. Wow. I mean, that's reason yeah. enough to go buy a lottery ticket. For oh, absolutely. Sake. You know, and that was just one of many little synchronicities and and what I call the cosmic kisses in the conjuring that tell me that the universe says it's okay because I wouldn't be a a best-selling author 
if it weren't for that movie. My books would just be floating around in the ether, obscurity, <laughs> like a That's million right. other stories. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it was because of that film that launched my career as, uh, you know, really launched me as a speaker and, you know, a paranormal person out in in the genre in the field. I travel all over the place. I do lectures all over the world. I. You know, I mean, thank God for Zoom and Skype and <laughs> yes. the pandemic. Yes. You know, I mean, sure. I, I stayed very busy in spite of the fact that I couldn't leave my house. Um, but uh, now I'm all vaxxed up and back out on the road, which feels nice. great. Um, I feel like it's important for me to tell you one thing. And that is, well, first of all, I don't want anybody to miss Bathsheba. And after you see it. Um, you know, I want people to feel like they can contact me and ask questions um, or contact, you know, you or the producers or, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to stay in touch so that I can answer their questions as well. But uh, I was told that it, it airs on Monday, October 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on T&E. And I was also told that uh, T&E is the network it's the place uh it for is. the paranormal Absolutely. in canada so everything I'm so paranormal <laughs> yeah i'm i'm so thrilled to be associated with this production company cream productions and yes. the pr people are fabulous and Excellent. i i get to talk to lovely people like you and brie <laughs> oh, and so i'll nice. join you again to to you. yes yes yep. absolutely absolutely but we do have one final question okay so to finish it off Everything that you've experienced up until now, could you describe it in one word? Love. Wow. I That I was not expecting. Neither was I. But I, I see it. Like, I can definitely Love. see where that's coming from. Love is yes. the answer. It is. To every question. For so many things yes. in this world, okay. especially right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Especially now, there's no more important time for the paranormal to come to light, for the truth to come to light, so that people who are losing their loved ones yes. don't feel like they've been ripped from their lives. They're still with us. That's right. We just suffered a terrible loss in our own family. So oh. pardon me getting emotional, but no. it's so important for people to know, let it bring them comfort. Let, yes. let it bring them comfort that Absolutely. there is something beyond our mortal existence and to be touched by spirit is a blessing, not a curse. It is That's that right. rare glimpse into the realm from which we come and will all inevitably return. So I tell everyone, be not afraid. Just be the beacon, be the light you Embrace see it. and all will be well. That's right. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Yes. Oh, I I don't even know how I, I haven't even processed this <laughs> yet. So I'm still processing it as we speak. So, okay. uh, you know, uh, just an amazing, amazing interview. You're an amazing woman. Your story is amazing. Story, Your yeah. family is amazing. And we thank you for sharing, um, sharing everything with us. Oh, it's wonderful. And I will join you again in the future. It's just oh. the beginning of a lovely friendship. I know that. Oh, awesome. excellent. I, I couldn't ask for anything yeah, more. <laughs> wow. That was a powerful, moving, yet informative interview. Yeah. I just want to say a big thanks to Andrea for being on our show. It was such a pleasure. Yes, it was. Yeah. I, I was so thrilled when, when I found out from Sean that we were going to be interviewing her. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, I also want to thank Tiani as well for the opportunity. Yes. Um, because you know what? They've created a great show. Um, as you heard, Andrea is quite proud of it and mm -hmm. is quite happy with the story that it's telling yes. so we know because we've seen it that you'll like it too mm -hmm. so definitely reach out to us you know tell us what you think about the TNE show tell us what you think about the interview tell us what you think about our show yeah we are definitely always open to hearing from our audience and uh you know you know, even your experiences with the, with the yes, paranormal always. as well. Mm -hmm. 
um, whatever it may be. So we definitely want to open that up as well because we want to have everybody's experiences um, and, you know, kind of make it a thing that everybody talks about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's been a lot of times where people don't talk about it because, you know, they're afraid of what people will say or how, um, you know, what people will you know, give them different looks or what have you, but you know what? Their reaction. Yeah, Yeah, their reaction. But in the end, at the end of the day, it's an experience that happened to you. Exactly. So. We want to hear it. Exactly. (laughs) At least, you know what? There's an outlet here that you can come and we will talk about it and discuss it. Yes. Yes. So finishing that off, I want to pass it over to Brie to uh, give us some ways that you can contact us and reach out to us. So Brie, I'll pass it over to you. All right. All right. So you can reach us on Facebook at Paranormal Files Canada. We are on Instagram at Canada Paranormal Files. And you can also find us on Twitter at PFC Sean underscore Brie. Yes. Oh, and you can also reach us at Gmail at paranormalfilescanada at gmail.com yes definitely 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 um check out our facebook give us some likes um we're going to be posting some stuff on there for season three so keep an eye out for that stuff as well so thank you for your support over the last two years yes two years i can't believe this is season (laughs) ending close yes so excited to what is coming ahead yep Um, very excited yes and you know we will continue to do the same thing as long as you guys continue to To listen listen. (laughs) so again thank you take care of yourselves and always don't forget to stay spooky spooky. Mm -hmm.